You're listening to Phanalysis, a sci-fi and fantasy podcast. In this episode, we are talking about episode 311 of The Hundred Nevermore. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Dawson. And I think we've got a slightly more positive review this week. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and uh, let's go ahead and start with some general reviews. You want to start us off there, Dawson? Yeah, sure. Um, I was really excited to kind of come back to a lot of things about this show that I loved about it in the first place. Liked, I really liked a lot of this episode. I loved the the crew being back together. I loved that it was a really, there was a lot of Clark in this episode that always makes me happy. I My one thing is I, I do kind of, I, I loved this episode encapsulated as it was. I kind of wish they, some of what they did in this episode, this was very much a like, bringing to the surface and it's a very typical storytelling thing that people do where you take one episode and you sort of like air out all of the dirty laundry (laughs) the airing (laughs) of grievances i I have it referred to later in the notes exactly exactly and that's a really typical thing to do and to put and they followed a very a fairly typical style where you put people in a really enclosed space who have a lot of problems with each other and then you know, kind of address some of those problems. I do wish that they had sort of spread this out more over previous episodes. I think that would have helped a bit with the balance Mm -hmm. in terms of dealing with the good and bad of what people had done. And that that they kind of like saved it all for this episode makes this episode feel a little bit packed and also I think hurt the first parts of the season. So structurally for the full season, I think it would have been better if some of this happened more interwoven into the early parts of the story. That said, this was still a spectacular episode. I really enjoyed it. Lots of stuff I really liked, and um, I'm pretty happy with it. I I rewatched it, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and we're willing to rewatch it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I actually ended up really liking this episode. It started off, I was a little shaky. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Because, again, it starts off with the previously on, and then we have to relive all the horrible things that have happened in the past month. That was not fun. <laughs> no, it was it was pretty awful. But yeah, in this episode, we finally get our core group of characters from, from the 100. The group of the 100, not the show of the 100, obviously. Right. They're finally back together. And, like, I can't even think of the last time that happened. I want to say it was last season. <laughs> yeah, it would have been last season. But yeah, there was... A lot of the airing of the grievances, and it's super hard to watch, which made this episode a little claustrophobic, I guess. Yes. Which also, I mean, they're mostly stuck in the one location together, and it's all tense and stuff, but... Yeah. But that's the idea, right? Like, that's the point. Yeah, that that you set it up. Storytellers often set it up that way intentionally, it sh- that it should feel claustrophobic. It should feel oppressive. Exactly. With but the weight of it all. <laughs> you know, with the ultimate goal of it being a good thing, right? Because like now of it's course. all out in the open. Everybody's addressing the elephants in the room. So mm-hmm. and also it just it sounds like <laughs> if you ever go on the internet and look at discussions against any particular character, that's basically what this episode was. <laughs> <laughs> It's so it's true. Like every argument anybody has against any of the characters, it was all in this episode. Yeah, it was. That's a part of why, and I, I know we've talked about this before, Chris, that's a part of the, like, watching something through to completion that often, if you're doubting your characters as deeply as I think everybody has been, definitely there's some some structural issues with your storytelling. People shouldn't, like, write off your show because you've you've failed to address these things. They should be addressed 
Um, they clearly should have been addressed earlier because everybody's been writing those pieces. But I don't think the writers were oblivious to to it all. They just right. hadn't addressed it yet, and they, so they did it in this episode. So that was that was good. That was exciting. It's good to see it. Addressed. I mean, the fact that this episode airs as here are those things that you read on the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, clearly they're aware of all of these character flaws, and which is why I always, you know, hesitate to blame the show itself for right. such things because like clearly this is a the thing they're setting up but yeah maybe maybe waited a little too long to get to some of this but but that's okay and i think we're going to talk about things character by character just because of the way the episode set up it's a little easier for us to do it this way so let's talk about jasper mr you don't give the orders clark who then needed clark to give him orders literally 2 minutes before he said that <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty typical jasper he was just standing there watching Raven dislocate her shoulder and try and get out of her bindings. And he was just like standing there watching her and calling for help, but not taking any action until people told him to take action. <laughs> yeah. The relationship between Jasper and Clark has been a tough one for me. I mean, it's always like, in in terms of being a fan of of the show, being a fan of Clark, it's always hard to watch people have a problem with Clark, who is trying her best, <laughs> right? Which is the point, right? Like Clark mm-hmm. is our main character; we sympathize with her. But I particularly struggle with, and it came up in the episode. I particularly struggle with Jasper blaming Clark for everything that happened. There were some really, there was one really lovely moment that I quite enjoyed between Jasper and Clark, where Jasper says he was going to save everybody. And Clark says, I wish you could have. Mm -hmm. And that moment for me was about one of the things I always liked about the hundred is, is that it didn't try to simplify what are by their nature, very messy, complex issues. Right. And Jasper's rage, I don't think is, he's not mad at Clark because Clark killed Maya. I mean, of course he is, but it's not just that, right? It's also that he couldn't prevent it. He couldn't save them. He was going to save them and felt like he felt like he was going to save them and then didn't get the chance to, right? So there's some part of him that's grappling with that. And I liked that there was, it was just a small moment, but I felt like there was a lot of, there were a lot of layers in that. And I really enjoyed that, that bit. And this is jumping ahead a little bit, but Nyla has that line to Clark about, you didn't give either of us the chance. Right. And I you know, that same thing applies here, right? Like, Jasper didn't get the chance to find out whether or not his plan would work. I mean, I think it's fair to say, logically, it wouldn't have worked. Right. But I think the fact that Jasper never got to find out is what's keeping him from moving on from this idea, right? Yeah. I Well, yes, I think it's that. I also think that Jasper is, he grapples with that thing of he's not a hero, and he'll, he doesn't ever feel like a hero, and he feels like everyone else is a hero, and he isn't, right? And so it, it plays into some of prob- what are probably his deeper insecurities, that because later on in the episode, he does say there's, you know, there's the payoff moment where he says to Clark, I couldn't have done what you did. And, and, and I don't think that's just about Raven and Allie, right? That's about, that's about the mountain. And it's about Jasper, some part of him acknowledging that you know, even if he had, even if he had had time to go after Cage, I I don't think he would have, I don't think he would have saved them all. It's it, it he's not exactly a warrior, you know. And I well, think that and, was. I mean, just even the fact that he his entire plan was just about killing Cage, but right. it wouldn't have stopped at Cage. Right. That that wouldn't have prevented what was happening. 
I mean, Cage was in charge of that particular thing, but it's not like they would have stopped once they found out that the Sky Crew people were the ones that could have saved them. You know what I mean? Like, Right. And and Clark knew that. Right. right? That was why Clark did what she had to do in the way Clark always does. And I, th- that moment where Jasper says, I couldn't have done what you did, is is about that. It's about that being who Clark is and that Jasper is not that person. And some part of him, I think, learning that and and very probably very painfully for him acknowledging that about himself. You don't think that line was about his not being able to smash the Lexa chip? Mm, how do you mean? Because isn't that he he hands it back to Clark when he says that? Mm-hmm. Because his plan was to destroy the Lexa chip just as she had killed off Maya. I I didn't read it that way, okay. which doesn't mean it wasn't about that. <laughs> that's not how I. That's not how I. How I read what he was saying there. Now I'm going to go back and watch it a third time with that lens because I'm curious. Because <laughs> that's kind of how I read it. But but yeah, rewatch it and let me know later. <laughs> yeah, maybe the next on the next episode at the top of the episode, we'll we'll compare notes about okay. <laughs> what I found when I rewatched for a third time. No, I didn't read it that way at all. I very much read it as him finally listening to Clark's orders and acknowledging that he he can't do what she does. And Mm. that all his rage and all his pain and all the ways people hate Clark and are angry at Clark and wish she had done things differently, the reason they still do what she says to do is because she gets it done. Which is true. Yeah. But I like that other I like that other layer as well. So I'm gonna rewatch and hopefully see things with new eyes. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Now I'm gonna rewatch and see if I see anything more optimistic like you. (laughs) Excellent. All right. (laughs) So you you wanted to talk about the the man pain situation. Yeah. This is in terms of Jasper the the discussions around man pain came up because Devin Bostick who's the actor who plays Jasper tweeted something about I think what he said was I think Jasper's done crying for now. Can we stop using the outdated term man pain? It's called PTSD and you know, it's it's a real problem or or and it you know doesn't have anything to do with gender or something like that. And um I just I as I was reading, there were lots of discussions about like man pain and and about the the specificity of man pain being that men are allowed to fall apart and act out and and be horrible as a result of trauma and grief. And women in in fiction are not right that instead they they are Clark and they are Octavia and they kind of suck it up and deal and get back out there and start solving problems again. And I thought that was a really interesting discussion, partially because I think when we say man pain, one of the things we mean is is this very violent, dangerous sort of grief, right? The kind of grief that makes you say horrific things to your friends, the kind of grief that makes you kill, you know, a peacekeeping army, <laughs> the the kind of grief that that weirdly, not weirdly, we all know why, but it is the kind of thing that only men in fiction get to do. And it is also the only way we allow men to express grief. I don't think that if Jasper had kind of gone the Clark route, you know, in Clark's grief, she's carrying on Lexa's legacy, um, trying to find a way to, you know, protect this chip that has a part of Lexa in it, like is really committed to the non-destructive pieces of grief, right? That's where she is. She's not out there trying to wreck everything because, 
you know, because she's grieving. I think if, if Jasper had, had been that person in the story, if he had carried on Maya's legacy, and I actually got, I got all up in my head about how cool of a story that would have been for Jasper. If he became this almost obsessive voice for peace and for change and for preventing more slaughters, right? If he was fueled by Maya's last words, which were, none of us are innocent, right? If he became this this sort of obsessive personality for that, I think that would have been totally fascinating. But I think what he got instead was this idea of man pain, which is, I'm hurting and everything is terrible. And so I'm going to wreck everything around me. And I, I just, I'm bummed that, that that's our, our culture, that men only are allowed to express their pain that way. And women are never allowed to express their pain that way in fiction. I would like to see more more crossover yeah rarely anyway yeah yeah if if i didn't know that you were so busy i would suggest that you write the fanfic of jasper doing that but i know I you know. are busy so <laughs> i don't have time but man that would be cool it just to me like that's such a compelling that would have been a much more compelling storyline for him i actually i don't love this storyline for jasper i know that people have talked about well he has ptsd and that's you know something that's important to represent and i'm like yes yes i'm not saying it's not i just well, you it's know. like how at this point, I mean, virtually everybody in the show does or should have PTSD. Yeah. Logically. So, yeah, I think the fact that we see Jasper repeatedly acting out in this way, even though it does make sense. I mean, I was having a discussion with one of my friends talking about how just based on Jasper's character, it's not surprising that this is how he's acting out. Sure. Because Jasper has always been rather selfish really yes agreed you said that and it totally pinged something for me that helps me understand better why i wish they had done something different with jasper and it's that one of the things i've always liked about the hundred is that their characters often when their characters experience trauma or something really terrible rather than expressing in ways that are very true to their character Instead, they are changed by those things. Their character changes. That's something that happened with Kane. It was one of my favorite parts of the show, was that he changes fundamentally as a person because of this terrible thing that happens because of the culling. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that would, to me at least, that's a more interesting story. Rather than to say, well, Jasper is a selfish person, and so he's going to respond this way. Instead to say, what if the trauma, because trauma changes you. You're not the person you were before. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed seeing Jasper being utterly changed by that. And and to play with that would be cool, I think. That's something I've always liked about the show, is how these traumatic experiences change people. They don't just make them more or worse in terms of who they are. It changes who they are, and that's, to me, absolutely fascinating. The same thing happens with Jaha, right? He becomes this religious leader after this, you know, journey to the ground. <laughs> he goes kind of crazy. And that kind of thing is interesting to me, how trauma changes you. Shall we talk about Bellamy now? Oh, Mr. Bellamy. I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of people are struggling with Bellamy the whole season, really. I thought it was rather ironic that in this episode, he seemed to have to be the, the cool-headed guy in regards to Raven slash Allie's provocations like she's that was weird right that wasn't just me that was weird that was a weird character choice uh yes and no yes and no here's the thing that i thought was really weird the scene where clark freaks out at 
Raven slash Allie. And then, yeah, Bellamy has to come in and be, like, level-headed guy. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? <laughs> it felt really weird to me. I, I agree. It was strange. What they did with Bellamy this episode was very odd to me. It didn't feel like him. I, I can rationalize it in the sense that it starts off with that interaction with Bellamy and Octavia, where Octavia is basically just rejecting Bellamy. So maybe Bellamy's all in his head about that. I mean, I don't know. I suppose. It was just, to me, it was a strange... I, You know, I think it's that they needed someone who was going to be the level-headed. You need someone who is essentially unaffected. You have to have that in order to maintain order, right? You have the one, like, grounding person. And Clark should... To me, it should have been Clark. As much as... And I've heard a lot of people say that they, you know, they want to see Clark's grief. They want to they know that, like, losing Alexa meant something to her. All of those things, fair enough. I get why people want that. But to me, the level-headed person should have been Clark. Because that is who Clark is. That is her ultimate strength, is in the face but of... But she's not always, though. Clark tends to get emotional about certain things. And I feel like Raven slash Allie was really digging into those sore spots that Clark has. I can accept that. But for me, it should have been like Sinclair. I would have loved for it to have been Sinclair. The problem, I think, is that Sinclair is not entrenched enough in the drama with all of these people. Which is why it makes sense that it should be Sinclair (laughs) to be the level-headed guy. Like, he's not super involved in their interpersonal drama. From what we've seen of Sinclair, he's been a really level-headed, reasonable guy. I know he's not, quote-unquote, a main character, so I get why it's not him, but I think logically it probably should have been. I mean, yeah. But storytelling-wise, like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for it to be him. I know. I, I, I kind of get why they went with Bellamy. There's kind of no one else to do that role. I guess it could have been Monty, but they had that stuff with him later in the episode, so then that wouldn't work, right? So I get why it was Bellamy. It just seemed very strange. That doesn't seem... A, it doesn't seem like his personality at all. Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of character he is. But B, it was sort of a... I guess they were trying to give him a bit of a hero moment. That kind of thing is a hero moment. When you are the person unaffected by the the manipulator in this scenario, right? That's a bit of a hero moment. You're sort of the stolid, stable character. But it was weird because they gave him a hero moment like right amidst all of the mess of like meeting Nyla and like... Right. <laughs> all of the... And like pulling a gun on her and like clearly not feeling... Seeming to not feel remorse for what he's done and still feeling like grounders are terrible people. Yeah. It was a weird, that would just, the whole thing was a strange, Bellamy, this episode is very weird to me. I, c- I couldn't figure out what's going on there. Yeah. Because it's one of those things, they do occasionally set up Bellamy as a leader type, but I feel like when he's been most likable is when he's Clark's secondhand man kind of yeah secret agent guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I don't know. No, but I just felt like Bellamy was weird this episode. I loved a lot of the stuff they called out about Bellamy. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with him. A lot of people have talked about them setting Bellamy up for a redemption arc. And and like I said, there was that him being the sort of level-headed one in this scenario is a bit of a a bit of a hero moment. But what's weird to me is they hear everyone is like they're setting Bellamy up for a redemption arc, but they're not they're not. In order to do a redemption arc, you have to feel remorse for what you did, and then you have to like 
go through some sort of struggle to like try to make it right or make it better or like help the people you hurt or what have you. Right. And they, it seems like they're not setting him up to do those things. Maybe, I don't know. No, I agree with you because, I mean, he's shown remorse, but he hasn't shown remorse for killing off 300 innocents. Like, he's shown remorse that Lincoln got hurt because that hurts Octavia. Right. And I, I will give them that, at least at the beginning of the season, it seems like Bellamy and Lincoln had made their peace and were maybe on friendly terms. Like, okay, maybe he feels guilty about Lincoln, but yeah, the there are so many other things that he just doesn't seem remorseful about at all. So yeah, I don't know where they're going with this. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm honestly, genuinely, honestly curious if they're going to kill off Bellamy. Hmm. They've kind of made him into a horrible person, right? <laughs> like, there's, in the sense that, like, there's nothing there, there is, because he doesn't feel remorse, there's nothing there for us to, like, be motivated to forgive him. Why would we? He's not asking for forgiveness. He thinks what he did was what he had to do. So then, like, what do you do with a character like that? There's only one direction for them to go, which is to sacrifice themselves to save everybody. That's the only way you redeem a character like that. <laughs> so I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I can't imagine them killing off Bellamy. He's such a major character, but who knows? They killed off Lincoln, so, you know. Yeah. They killed off Finn. I didn't think they'd kill off Finn way back when. Shall we just move on to Monty? <laughs> yeah, so Bellamy was weird this episode, and nobody really knows what's up with that, and we'll see what happens with him. Let's talk about Monty. <laughs> Monty, who was a clear-headed person and could have played Peacemaker, but he wasn't there. Poor Monty had a terrible episode. Like, this was just not a good episode for Monty. Monty's having a rough time lately. <laughs> this whole season has really not been good to anybody, but has been especially cruel to Monty. Poor, precious cinnamon roll Monty. It's always worse when they're like super sweet, lovely, wonderful characters. You're like, no, don't hurt them. <laughs> exactly. He got beaten up by his mom. Then he saved his mom from getting wounded and or killed by Octavia. And then he had to kill his mom to save Octavia. Which I just, I don't even know how to feel about this. Because as I've said all season, like, Hannah had to go. <laughs> And I feel bad saying that because Monty, but but Hannah was awful. I agree. I don't disagree with you. But at the same time, like this isn't how she had to go. No, there were there were let me say this. There were better options for how to deal with Hannah, I think, personally. But this show likes to go for the hurt. So I'm not surprised that they decided to do this. But at the same time, I was watching the scene. and I was like, why couldn't Monty have like pistol whipped her? <laughs> This is right. my thing about about guns, right? I'm like, why aren't more people hitting people with guns? <laughs> a petition for people to shoot less and smack people in the face with guns a lot more. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I I am not at all surprised that this was the direction they went given the episode, given the season that we've had. Um, mm -hmm. Like many other things in this season, I think it was unnecessarily excessive. I don't think you needed. I don't think you needed Monty to have Monty to like, quote unquote, be forced into killing his mother in order to get him where you needed him emotionally. It just felt like too much. I sort of chalked it up on my list of like the list of things this season that I'm like, that was not you did not need to go that far. That was not necessary. But it is what it is, you know, and it did it, it. Hannah did have to go. I agree. But then there's that painful scene with Monty and Octavia driving back to 
Back to Nyla's shop, I guess. Trading post. Trading post. Thank you. And uh, so one of my friends is like, Monty should not be driving right now. (laughs) True. That's a good point. Yeah. Poor Monty. Yeah. That was rough. I didn't love it, but you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. Hopefully that means Monty's going to get some storyline coming up soon because I miss Monty's storyline. There's not been enough of it lately. And of course, that extra painful moment at the end where Clark figures out how to deactivate the chip or get the chip out anyway. And, you know, Monty realizing that he maybe didn't have to kill his mom. But at the same time, it's like, what are you going to do? You know, your your options are what they are. I also want to point out that they did say earlier in the episode that the EMP will fry the bracelet. So they don't have another bracelet. So if he had, like, if they'd, like, hogtied Hannah and brought her to the trading post, they would have had to choose between her and Raven, which might have been an interesting storyline, actually. Well, but I mean, they could have tried to remove the chip without frying it first. Do you think so? I don't think they can. It attaches to your brain. The only reason it came out was because they fried it, I think. I don't know. I I guess they didn't say that, but that was what I assumed. But this is what I'm saying. Like, they could have tried just removing it without without frying first i don't potentially i mean they could certainly they could have tried you can, you can always try but i think because sinclair says that must be what's left of the chip mm-hmm. like i think it only i think it would only detach from the brain after it's been fried i don't know that you would be able to take it out before then without killing the person that's all speculation who knows they could have tried you're right but i don't you know it gives Monty a tragic storyline, and that's what they wanted, clearly. Right. See, this is one of those moments where they use, like, the glimmer of hope to make everybody feel worse. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, oh, we can maybe detach chips from people. So maybe those people didn't have to die. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> let's talk about Octavia, because that'll make me feel slightly better, I think. Dude, I love Octavia's character so much. Me too. Octavia's great. And she had, like, a whole character arc in this one episode because it starts off she's determined to leave because she doesn't belong here she doesn't belong there she's she's lost at the beginning of the episode and the episode ends with her basically declaring you know we survive together and then i have a lot of feelings and i teared up i think (laughs) watching it the first time we all did they get very emotional about that kind of thing we all did so um I thought that was nice, because that whole feeling of not belonging and then determination to stick together at the end, I I thought that was good. Yeah. I have this entire season been curious what, like, where Octavia will end up. Because her journey this season has very much been about belonging, and who is she? Who is she really? And where does she belong? And who are her people? And this, this episode encapsulated it quite nicely. I'm interested to see what type of a role she will take on. Octavia has always kind of been something of the truthful heart of the group, right? That that she is very committed to her beliefs and her values and, you know, very intensely perceptive about what is right and wrong. And in that sense is sort of a something of a leader. So I'm curious where where this will all take her, if she'll step into more of a leadership role, which I would love to see. I think we have been seeing that over the course of the season, so I have hope for it. Yeah, they've been heading that way, so I'm I'm hopeful that that's that's the direction they'll 
they'll go. It's really hard to watch Octavia feeling like she has nowhere to belong. I know, especially since just two episodes ago, we got the scene of Indra declaring that Octavia is her people. I know. All I want in life is for Indra and Octavia to have a reunion and for Indra to be like, no, you belong with us. You're my child now. I want that. Poor Octavia deserves a family. She does. Which I say, even though she's like the only one who actually has a <laughs> yeah. sibling. But... <laughs> yeah. It mm. hurts so much. <laughs> it does. Um, she was great in this in this episode. I thought it was interesting that, that when they got to the trading post, Clark and, and Nyla was there. Clark was like, I'll talk to her. I was like, doesn't it, wouldn't it make more sense for Octavia to talk to her? Because Octavia's kind of always been a bridge between the Sky Crew and the Grounders. Well, but Clark was going to talk to her because they Clark. have history. Clark knows her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, that that particular, it was just weird to me that it was Clark and Bellamy. I get why, right? Because they were trying to get that moment where we get the summary of the show, which is Clark trying to like make a peaceful resolution and Bellamy being like, we don't have time for this and holding her at gunpoint. Not cool, Bellamy. Not cool at all. But I think Octavia would have been a better choice to have that conversation <laughs> rather than Bellamy. And yet. Exactly. That one I, I agree with. It's like, Octavia should be your backup, Clark, not Bellamy. Yeah. You've chosen the wrong Blake. <laughs> yes. But they didn't ask me, so. Yeah, that's right. Also, a bit of a side note, it took me a second viewing to realize that the reason Octavia needed new clothes at the trading post is because the old ones were covered in Hannah's blood. Thanks for reminding us all, Chris. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But I was just, because I was watching, I was like, why was Octavia, did she feel like she needed something new and pretty? But it's, no, I think it's probably because the old ones were um, ruined. Yes. Also, and we're all sad now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Besides the blood, there was also, like, a lot of mud in that scene. She was, like, thrown in the That's mud true. a lot. So blood and mud. Actually, here's another thing that I forgot to mention. Where was Octavia when Monty came out of the dropship? Like, what was she doing? A good question. Did she need a bathroom break? Is that why she was off in the woods? I'm going with that. That sounds like a great reason. It was possible. I mean, that's she, she all might, I can come up with. <laughs> she might have been checking the perimeter. She might have been checking the woods to make sure that, you know, maybe she heard a sound. That seems possible. That's fair. I mean, all of that is stuff that could have happened. But like Monty came out of the dropship and, and Octavia was nowhere to be found. And I was messaging my friends, where is Octavia? <laughs> it's like, this is not okay. Octavia better be all right. Basically, yes. The other thing I thought of, which is sadder, in my opinion, is what if she went to where the graves of the dead from the dropship are to, like, visit them since they were at the dropship? That's so angsty that you should write for the show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) That might have been it. Anything else about Octavia? That's all I got for Octavia. She's great. I'm excited to see where she goes. Shall we talk Sinclair? Let's talk Sinclair. The master engineer. Because, like, we knew he was protective of Raven, but it's always nice to see it. And I don't think we've ever seen him more protective of Raven than we have in this episode. He basically calls Raven his child. Pretty much, yeah. Which I think is spectacular. Because it it was the line, she's all I have left or something, isn't it? Yeah. Which then got me thinking, do we know anything about Sinclair's family? I don't 
think so. I want to say there was some mention of a wife in the first season. So maybe she died on the way down. I think it's either heavily implied or, yeah, I'm not sure we ever get mention of her again, unless I missed it. Interesting. Yeah, so that was sweet, but also heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Sinclair kind of declaring Raven immensely important to him. Which is nice, because that's always one of our... I, I think we've had the discussion about poor Raven doesn't have much in the way of family, so... Finn was her family, remember? Yep. Oh no, Finn is dead. <laughs> this is all really but sad. But Sinclair, she's got Sinclair now. She does have Sinclair now, you're right. Let's talk about and Sinclair. Abby. <laughs> she has Sinclair and she has Abby, and she has like, you know, like I'm pretty sure she and Octavia are, are bros, so she's got like, you know, an almost sister, basically. But that's like 90% fandom created, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Yes. Mostly because they don't have a lot of scenes together. But I will point out that there was the scene in the first episode of the season where Octavia says, try to keep up. And oh, Raven right. makes this face. Or that was, to me, a very... I, I know other people read it with other lenses. To me, that felt like a very sibling-type vibe. That's fair. And, I mean, earlier this season, too, here Raven was close to Gina, it seemed like. Yeah. And we're sad um... again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? Anyway, but we're talking about Sinclair. Okay, so Sinclair, we got Raven is <laughs> Raven is exciting to talk about. Um, Sinclair we'll we'll is rad. There. We will. Yes, <laughs> Sinclair is rad. It was great to see him caring about Raven. But what I thought was really interesting was to see how he interacts with the the delinquents because, like, technically he's the highest ranking guy there, but he seemed really willing to follow their lead, which I I kind of liked. You know, Sinclair maybe knows he's not a leadership type of person. He seems pretty willing to go with whatever the kids' plans are. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was also kind of funny, because he's like, he is the adult. <laughs> like, right. He's the only real adult in the group. And yet, most of what he does is take orders. <laughs> and be super engineering-y. He's very yes. engineer-like. That's true. But I feel like it's kind of maybe taking taking a cue from Kane, because... Remember, there's a scene in season two where Caden seems really willing to let Clark make some decisions <laughs> regarding, especially like grounder interactions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's that sense of Kane says this at one point, you know, and then Abby repeats it back to him. Right. They haven't they haven't been kids since we since we sent them down here. Mm -hmm. And I think they all kind of kind of know that. And especially this core group, who are the group who kind of got the delinquents through that first season Lord of the Flies experience. Right. They were the leaders in that sense. So they have some of the most experience in, in all of this. Still, it's fascinating to see Sinclair just kind of roll with it. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about Raven slash Allie, because pretty much one and the same for much of the episode. Because, <sighs> uh, oh, man. This is the part that's hard to talk about, just because it continues the whole terrible things happening to Raven, but also Lindsay Morgan's doing a great job. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> this is horrific, but also, man, Lindsay Morgan is so good. <laughs> uh, but I felt bad for her, because she was tied to a bed for almost the entire episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, back to the, like, stop torturing Raven Reyes 2016. Um, <laughs> I will say, at the very least, the stuff that was happening here, I felt like, had had really good reason to happen. But also that the scenes with Allie and Raven were really spectacular, both in in Lindsay Morgan's and Erica Serra's performances... And in how they were shot, the ambiguity between what is Allie and what is Raven. Obviously, Raven is, quote unquote, being controlled by Allie, right? But that line where Raven is saying terrible things to Clark and Clark says, you're not going to get to me, Allie. And and Raven says, it's not Allie Clark, it's Raven. I think there's truth in that. I think all of these horrific things are, are, Raven has this incredibly clear sense of, all of the issues floating around the various grievances that need to be aired. And she knows exactly where to stick that verbal knife for every single one of these people. Yep. Well, I mean, again, like this is all stuff that fandom has said about various characters, especially if they're upset with said character. Sure. And so basically what the show is doing, what Allie is doing within the context of the show is having Raven say all of the things that everybody probably thinks about each other, but would never say. Right. Absolutely. Cause like these are, I mean, it's pretty common, right? You have a thought, an unkind thought. Normally you wouldn't say it. It, and you might not even really think it's true, but it's, it's in there among the thoughts. You know what I mean? But yeah, on any normal day, you'd never say that thing to that person. You know, it's not true or you know it's not it's not that it's not true because i think all of these things are true on some level absolutely that's what makes them hurtful exactly which is also part of why you'd never say them (laughs) yeah well and they and they're also in life we are all doing the best we can and these people are in you know these characters are in an extreme situation and doing the best they can and sometimes you do horrible things Mm -hmm. and that's what raven ends up you know, that's the the button you press is reminding people of the horrible things they've done to survive or to protect someone or, you know, what have you. And that's totally interesting to watch and painful, but interesting, interesting to watch. It all kind of goes back to that whole you always hurt the ones you love kind of thing, right? Because sure, those are the people who are closest to you who know you well enough to know exactly how to hurt you the worst. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And there's so much, there's so much baggage between all these people, right? That's the, mm-hmm. like, that's the whole idea of this episode is there's so much existing baggage for all of these folks together. And I mean, even going back to season one with Bellamy throwing the radio into the river. Yeah. And how that indirectly gets 300 people killed. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, you know, and, and Raven has all of that because she's a part of this group and that's. I think that's really interesting, the way that Lindsay Morgan plays the line between her as Raven and her as Allie. Like, there are moments where she is Allie, and there are moments where she feels like Raven, and there are moments where she's somewhere in between. And that is a fascinating bit of acting. To to watch her do that is so cool, first of all, to see an actor in various gradations between two characters. Mm-hmm. But second of all, how it's shot and the ways, like, it was on rewatch that I really noticed this, how when they cut to Allie and then cut back to Raven, it's like there's a communication between them. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting to me. I don't know. Just the way the whole, if you go back and watch it, the way it was shot was totally fascinating. And then layer on top of that, Lindsay Morgan doing this amazing job of like being further, you know, closer to Raven or closer to Allie, depending on what she's saying and how she's saying it and what's happening in the scene. Totally fascinating acting stuff. So cool to watch. And then, of course, we finally get back to actual Raven by the end of the episode, which, thank goodness, my my poor heart could not take more of Allie having possession of Raven. We missed Raven, <laughs> and now she's back. Yay! And that whole, oh, Octavia has that line about, uh, I've never been happier to see somebody in pain or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. It was, was like, that's the hundred fandom in a nutshell. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And Raven kind of laughs, you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> Just, I just, oh, that final, you know, that final scene was so good in general. But, oh, I missed you, Raven. I'm so glad you're back. I'm stoked to see Raven in the next episode. That's what I, I'm glad to see Raven back and being Raven and like coming out of this experience and how that's going to impact her and affect her. Like, again, getting back to the things I loved about this show, which is that the story of how the things they experience change them. Mm hmm. And I'm curious to see how that goes with Raven. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that Allie seems terrified now because or that that she's terrified of Raven. Like that's super cool to me. <laughs> because she's Raven so much is going to the save the world with her brain. <laughs> yes. Isn't that awesome? I love that. It's great. Speaking of saving the world, let's talk about Clark. Oh, Clark. To wrap up things. I thought we'd save Clark for last because you and I both love Clark. And poor oh. Clark has had a rough episode. Clark has had a rough many episodes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm going to start off by saying it was really wonderful to see so much of Clark this episode. We've had things have been fairly light with Clark time. And it's it's good to see her again. It's good to see her back with the other delinquents. Hard to see her with them because of everything that's going on. But But good to to have her back in that role and, and doing what she does. Yep. But yeah, poor Clark gets so much blame this episode, which given the episode makes sense, but it's hard to watch. It is hard to watch. It's also, it's an interesting exploration of things because I always call back to the line at the end of season two, I bear it so they don't have to. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of, to me, one of the those essence of character lines, right, that that's kind of who Clark is. She makes the hard decisions and is constantly solving problems and just like on the edge of this sort of desperate leadership. I always wonder what will happen to Clark if I would be interested to see in season four. If anybody from the hundred is listening, I would be interested to see in season four an almost an opportunity for us to witness how these characters have been changed by what's happened so far, right? Like, that'd be cool. I would love to see what happens to Clark when she is not desperately running from one life and death scenario to another and how that probably would mess with her now. <laughs> I'd be really curious about that because that's all she's been doing for however long they've been on the ground at this point. I feel like we got a glimpse of that in episode 306 because we actually see her... And Lexa, like, having downtime. <laughs> Very true. For Very the first true. time ever, basically. So she goes back to drawing, is what Clark does. Oh, that makes my but heart that was, happy. 
That was before awful things happened. So, oh, no. or more awful things, rather. But oh no! <laughs> I know. I I'm sorry. <sighs> Why are you gonna make me it's sad? It's not Chris? me. It's the show. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're all depressed again. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay though, and because that's sort of the nature of Clark's character, right? D- d- you just watch her. She's so weighed down by everything that's happened, and still doing her best to make make choices and do the things she's supposed to and solve problems and save Raven and she's gonna have to save her mom you know like (sighs) oh that hurts so much with Clark and her whole conversation with Jasper which let's talk about that too because Jasper was super nasty to her and that made me madder at Jasper (laughs) indeed as it should you be nice to Clark (laughs) don't be rude Jasper (laughs) yeah I think some of that too is like it's so sad and hard to watch you know Clark losing everyone but also some of that is about addressing the fact that Clark is so out of the loop with what's going on with everybody I mm-hmm. actually thought about that with her dealing with Bellamy she hasn't been there for who Bellamy is and has become and what he's been doing and again I get curious like what are what they're going to do with Bellamy and where he's going to go from here I would be so fascinated for Clark and Bellamy to be on opposite sides of a war. Hmm. That would be interesting to me. Which almost happened, kind of. It got very close. I'm curious to see if there will eventually be a payoff of, because there was all that lead up to that, and then obviously 307 happened and that didn't happen. But what happens, unless at some point they turn Bellamy around, which they really haven't done yet. I know people keep saying they're leading him to redemption, and I'm like, no, they're not. So they really haven't turned him around in terms of his perspectives and what he wants and how he deals with things and what he thinks. So I'm curious what will happen with him and Clark. Clark is so out of the loop. She hasn't witnessed who he's become or who he's gone back to being, I guess, because he's much more similar to Bellamy in season one than he was to Bellamy in season two. Right. And I'm curious what will happen as Clark sees more of that, right? I don't think it's really, nothing has really gotten through to her yet, but the enormity of everything that has happened and how everyone has changed. But she wasn't there for that. And I'm interested to see how that affects her and and when she'll start to see some of that and see how different, you know, she's she's been around Octavia a little bit, but to see how different Bellamy is, she's obviously had to deal with how Jasper is towards her. And even that, there's been some moving and shaking in their relationship just this episode. So I'm I'm curious to see how Clark will respond to all of that new information of all the things she really may have heard about, but hasn't been there for and seen the true reality of. Right. I'm actually really curious how they're going to deal with this because they moved from the Pike situation right into the situation of Allie basically having control over everybody. Right. And it so immediately switched over and Clark was only there for a short while while Pike was in control. So I just, how are they going to navigate that even just Clark being back in Arcadia, if that's what's going to happen, you know, I don't know. And it should be interesting. (laughs) Ah, poor Clark. (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck in poor Clark. Somebody get her a blanket and some tea. And like Clark needs a hug. And so do I. (laughs) Yeah. A blanket and tea and a hug and, like, three months off from having to f- manage people. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we we didn't have Nyla on this list. 
But I just want to point out that I loved her character. I like Nyla too. I hope she survives. <laughs> I do as well. I appreciate that they didn't kill her this episode, by the way. I was worried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was worried that like either Bellamy would kill her. I wasn't too worried about that because again, the like we're up in the air about what's gonna happen with him. But I was worried that Allie's drones or like Allie's people would come and, and Nyla would like die. So I was nervous about that. I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. Let's hope she followed Clark's advice and went on her supply run or whatever. Yes. Here's hoping. And stayed clear long enough for Allie's drones, whether mechanical or people, finish what they were doing. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully she's safe. She is a character I really, really liked. I also liked what she represented. She rep- uh, When I talked about before things getting back to some of the stuff I loved about the show before it kind of got off the rails. Nyla's character are the kinds of characters I loved about the show who ask the questions that we should be asking. And like, I, again, not simplifying complex issues. I love that scene where, you know, Clark is like, would you have helped us? And Nyla goes, well, you didn't give either of us the chance to find out, right? That scene we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. such a good scene i just love i love her character and i love what her character represented her character represented a lot of things about the show that i feel like have been missing so it was good to have that back again so more nyla in the future please yes please by which we mostly mean don't kill her <laughs> yes bring her back and don't kill her both of those at the same time and on that note if you have thoughts that you'd like to share about this episode please send them to us. You can do that in a number of ways. You can send us an email at feedback at askgenretv.com. You can record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us. You can also call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We're on Twitter at askgenretv. You can find show notes for this episode at askgenretv.com slash fan10. Finalysis is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. We've got other episodes of Finalysis about Winona Earp right now. We have podcasts for Lost Girl, Orphan Black, Killjoys, and a couple of other things. You can find all of those at AskGenreTV.com. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris. And I'm Dawson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>